It's fitting today in the transfiguration that Jesus would demonstrate his glory to the apostles, to give them confidence for the road ahead. And it's fitting that he doesn't just speak it. He doesn't just say things like, well, you know, in the end, everything will be okay. Or after my, my, uh, my passion and suffering, I will rise again from the dead. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to manifest it, to demonstrate it. And that's what Jesus does in the transfiguration. He manifests and demonstrates his glory. He doesn't just talk about it, but he does it, right? He does it. He's not just reflecting his glory from another, but rather it's, right, it's coming from him. He's showing forth his glory. In his face, because the face, most, right, mostly out of anything, communicates our own relationship with God and who we are, our own identity, our own, our own personality, our own life. But also his clothes. His clothes become dazzling white. I think this is a hidden nod to his mother, to Mary, who would have most likely right, made his garments uh, with great love and with great care, not just as a utilitarian exercise, but as, right, so Mary's love and everything is bound into this, not only giving him his humanity. And that's something else that we see, that Jesus is transfigured in his humanity. It's not like his divinity evacuates his humanity in order to show its glory, but his divinity fills his humanity to show his glory. And, and this is just a wonderful thing, right, to be before Jesus in his transfiguration, as he demonstrates and he lives from this great place of his glory. But then it makes us ask a question. What exactly is God's glory when we think of that? What is God's glory? I think it's sometimes something that intimidates us. When we think of the glory of God, we think of his might, his power, the transcendence of God, his otherness. Right? That's what we think of often when we think of the glory of God. We think of right, something awesome, something impressive, something fierce even. And indeed, God is right, almighty. God is omnipotent. But there's something different, I think, about his glory that's revealed today, something that we sometimes miss, something that we need to, uh, I think, be built up by. And that is this. Notice the words of the Father in the transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. It's an echo from the words of the Father to Jesus at the baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so in these words from the Father, we see something very important that's revealed about the glory of God. In this moment when Christ manifests his glory, he's doing so from this gaze of delight from the Father. And so the source of his glory is this place of delight, this Trinitarian delight that the Father gazes upon the Son with goodness, right? and the Son right, receives this delight that the Father has in him with joy with glory, with goodness. 
And so when the father says, listen to him, he's not saying, all right, all you punks down there, listen up, because my son's got it. What he's saying is, no, this is my son whom I delight in. This is my beloved son. And if you listen to him, you will share in the same delight and the same glory that we have in this eternal communion. That puts it in a whole other context, doesn't it? But that's what it is when the Father says this. It puts the glory of God in this beautiful context. That's not always just about power and might and awesomeness, but it's about the delight of friendship that's at the heart of the Trinity. And we miss this about our Trinitarian God sometimes. We think of him, right, as eternal solitude. We think of him like the deist, that God is this supreme being somewhere else, and that we're these kind of minions who have to get into line. That's oftentimes how we see God and, and everything else that he sort of teaches us. But the transfiguration reveals something so beautiful, that it's from this place of Trinitarian communion, from this place of delight between the Father and the Son, that Jesus shows forth his glory. It's not from the place of imposition of power. It's not from the place of, look how great I am. But it's from the place of delight and communion. Think of all the beautiful passages of the prophet Isaiah when right, Isaiah is sort of prophesying about the Father's love for his people. Think how often the word delight is used. It's like again and again, right, throughout the later chapters of Isaiah. We have a lot of those passages as canticles in the Liturgy of the Hours to remind us that this is the place from which we live. This is the place that we're invited to join when we belong to Jesus. Not just to do it out of duty, not just to, like, do it out of fear, but to enter into friendship with God in order to share the joy and delight that the Father and Son share. And that, my friends, is glorious, right? That's the glory that we're called to. That's the glory that we're invited to enter into, is this delight between the Father and the Son. That's why the transfiguration is like a lighthouse in the darkness, right? It's the light of Jesus shining forth to say, hey, this is the source right, of glory and goodness this relational delight between the Father and the Son. But when we come to God, do we always think that He delights in us? Do we think that He rejoices in us? Sometimes in our interior life, we resist that. We're like, no, He doesn't. I can't believe He would do that to me. My life is too much of a mess. It's too grubby. Does He really delight in me? He does, right? That's why this is such a great revelation. That's why this is done with such glory. It's because this is the starting point. And this is why this feast, or this, not this feast, this reading, I think, is placed at the beginning of Lent. Because sometimes we approach Lent, the season of penance and suffering, which, with a kind of heaviness. Like, oh, i got to do penance, and i got to meditate on the suffering of Jesus. Like, that's so heavy, that's so much, you know. But we have the transfiguration here to remind us that when we enter into a relationship with God, it doesn't start through suffering. It doesn't start through penance. It starts through his goodness, his delight that he has in, in his son Jesus and in all of his creation. 
this relational place that we're called to live into in his Trinitarian communion. But that's where it starts. Because if we started with suffering, I think it'd lead us to alienation and despair. But if it starts with this place of delight and goodness in the transfiguration, then as the rest of Lent goes on, all these other like deep mystical things of the suffering of Jesus, Good Friday, his death and resurrection, they acquire a new life because they're an expression of what happens after the transfiguration, after the manifestation of his glory, after we taste his goodness. So maybe that's the grace we pray for today on this Feast of the Transfiguration. It doesn't sound like a Latin grace, but it is. Let's pray for the grace to taste and to receive and to respond to this relationship of delight that's shared between the Father and the Son. Let us pray that we might taste that glory, that we might rest in it, that we might claim it as our own. And my friends, that'll be a foundation for a fruitful Lent by tasting the glory of God who shares with us the goodness and the delight of his beloved Son.